go to the book of Mark, chapter number 14. The book of Mark, chapter number 14. And we'll start at verse 32 in just a moment. And the other thing that I have here, uh, how many of you remember our home missionary from Cleveland, Tennessee, Brother Fallon and his wife and children that were here a few months ago, a couple of months ago? We have some, um, some support cards. If you would like to take them on as a monthly supporter, uh, there's no minimum, there's no maximum. If you can give them a couple of dollars a month, if you can give them $100 a month, uh, but you can be a blessing to that brand new church. They're doing an awesome work. And I've got some of these, uh, these cards here. If you want to become a partner in missions with the Fallon family in Cleveland, Tennessee, please get with me after service, and uh, we'll look forward to that. The book of Mark, chapter 14, if you found it, say amen. amen. Verse number 32, and they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Jesus used a phrase here that's only used three times in the New Testament. It's actually two, he spoke two different, there are two different languages. The word Abba is an Aramaic language. It's, it's the word for father or dad. It's a less formal word. And Aramaic was the commonly spoken language in that part of the world at that time. Greek was the formal language. It was the written language and the legal language for that part of the world in that, uh, in that area. And so, Father here is in Greek. Abba is Aramaic. He actually said Father in two languages. And uh, I want to go from that phrase, I'm going to deal with the three passages in the New Testament that use this phrase. And I want to talk to you tonight about relational prayer. Relational prayer. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your people, for your church. Thank you for the blessing of being able to be in your house tonight, to open your word, to learn of you. I pray, God, that your anointing would help me to communicate what I feel like you've put on my heart. I ask you to help me tonight, God, to be effective in sharing, communicating, not only the word, oh God, but, but the feeling of the word, your heartbeat, and I pray, God, that we would grow in grace and knowledge of you. I ask you to anoint all of our classes that are taking place tonight, as well as the laborers that are preparing for the conference this weekend. God, I pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. I might also ask you to pray for a group. We have a group that left for Uganda today. Uh, a lot of young people and a few leaders. Brother Josh Wilson was heading up that group, and he tested positive for COVID this morning. And so that group is going on without their leader. Uh, they talked to their parents and their pastors, and, and they, they just determined they were going to go ahead and go 
If he can get a negative test by Friday, he's going to try to meet them there. But if you'll pray for that group and for him, I certainly would appreciate it. we got a great work that we're doing there in that part of the world, a great orphanage and a ministry. And so uh, we, we need this group to be able to be a blessing in Jesus' name. It was the mid-'90s. I was the youth pastor here at the church, and uh, we did youth camp here at the church. Now our district does youth camp, and so we, we let them do it. We don't, we don't do it ourselves anymore. It uh, was less work for us, and, uh, and so we don't do youth camp anymore. But in the mid-'90s, during the time when we did those youth camps, uh, we had a speaker come, and uh, we had him preach for us, and he taught a session during one of those camp meetings, and the title of his session was The Power of Relational Prayer. The Power of Relational Prayer. That was a life-changing message for me. As a matter of fact, I still, I still get uh, people that contact us uh, talking about that message, and I wish I could find it. I, I don't, I, I'm sure we have it on VHS somewhere, on cassette somewhere. Uh, maybe we'll be able to come across it sometime. But, uh, but that message was a life-changing message. I, I would listen to it regularly. I wish I could remember all of the details of that message. I'd just re-preach it if I could right now. But all these years later, I, I, it's been 25 years, I guess, since I listened to it. But I don't remember the details, but I remember the main point. And the main point is that God wants our prayer to be relational with him. Prayer is not about memorized phrases. It's not about liturgy. It's not about rote. Prayer in its best form is relational. Think about it. If you talk to your spouse the way we talk to God, most of us would be divorced. I'm already causing trouble, aren't I? I'm just getting started. If I talk, walked up to my wife and said, I love you, I love you, I love you, she might smile. Then if I said, move, 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 she might hit me. If I say, I need you, I need you, I need you, she might smile again. If I say, cook for me, cook for me, cook for me, she'd probably say, cook for yourself. Do my laundry, do my, I'm saying it three times because we always say things three times when we pray. Amen, amen, amen. If we just repeated the same five or six set phrases to our spouse over and over and over every day, every time we talk to each other, and we never connected the feeling of our heart and mind to that conversation, we wouldn't have a very productive marriage, and after a while, we probably wouldn't have a marriage. It would not take long for us to become bored in our relationship. And if you did stay married, it would be because you knew you were obligated to, but not because you were passionate about your relationship with each other. Folks, that's not how God wants our relationship with him to be. What we need more than anything else is to enter into a real, heartfelt relationship with Jesus Christ. 
One of the things that we as Pentecostals have is a very strong literal hermeneutic. That means that we believe the Bible really means what it says. That's just fundamental to how we view the Bible. That if it's in the Bible, God meant it to be there and he meant it for us. We assume, as, as Bible interpreters, we assume that the most obvious literal meaning of a passage is what it's trying to say. This is opposed to what's rapidly advancing, a rapidly advancing method of interpretation that is advancing in our world, which is very much a what it means to me is what it means mentality. So instead of reading the Bible for what it's trying to tell me, I read the Bible for what I want it to say to me. You get the nuance there? And so what you have is this conflicting hermeneutical approach that is going on in the world today. It's why, it's why people can just do what they want to do and expect God just to like it no matter what because they have a viewpoint of the scripture that allows them to interpret it for what they want. Amen. That's a hermeneutical error of the highest level. I don't adjust the Bible to fit my views. I adjust my views to fit the Bible. And so when we have such a strong literalist hermeneutic that is fundamental to what we are, one weakness of being so literal is that we sometimes tend to strictly divide every subject in the Bible into heaven and hell categories. And in regards to prayer, it's a sin not to pray. That's what the literalist in me says. But we shouldn't only pray so we don't go to hell for being a sinner. You get, get what I'm talking about? We, we tend to view every subject from a punitive perspective. If I don't do this, this will happen. If I do this, I'll get this blessing. And so we begin to view things from a, from a punitive standpoint. And so if I don't pray, then this will happen to me. And, we sometime, and because of that viewpoint, we sometimes miss the joyful aspect of what we're talking about. Okay? We believe you have to have, the, well, not only do we believe it, the Bible teaches you have to have the Holy Ghost to be saved. But when the Bible talks about the Holy Ghost, it doesn't call it the requirement of the Holy Ghost. It calls it the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so we have to be careful when we have our specific viewpoint of, of looking at Scripture, our hermeneutical system, that we don't leave out the fact that there's something beyond punitive measures when it comes to the Bible, okay? So let's talk about it. I, I said that, uh, that it is a sin not to pray, and I could, I could do a whole Bible study on why it is it is biblically mandated that we pray. I'll give you one quick verse, and, and we'll move on. Luke 18 and 1. He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Now, 
the biblical use of the word ought is different than the modern use of the word ought. When I say you ought to do something, it means, well, you should do it, but you don't have to. Like if I told my kids, you ought to clean your room, I guarantee you it's not happening that day. If I say you ought to go wash my car, I guarantee you it's probably not going to. But if I say you better go clean your room, it's likely to get at least partially done. Because we have a difference in the modern sense of the word ought, but the word used in the original Greek that's translated as ought is the Greek word day, and its literal definition is it is necessary. It is a must. It is necessity of law, of command, of duty. It's necessity established by the counsel and decree of God. That meaning for ought is a lot different than what we use for the word ought, right? And so when we read the Bible that men ought always to pray, Jesus said it is necessary that men always pray. It is a necessity and command that people pray. And so that's, that's biblical proof. That's one of a multitude of scriptures that I could pull out. You know, in the Old Testament, that's New Testament. In the Old Testament, Samuel said, God forgive me if I sin in failing to pray for you. He literally called it a sin, to fail to pray. And so we have plenty of Bible to prove that it is an absolute command in Scripture for Christians to pray. But if the only way we see prayer is as that kind of a command, then we are missing the joy of prayer. We believe we're commanded to pray, but if we only pray because of command or because we are prompted by a need, we'll miss the most rewarding aspect of prayer, and that is deepening our relationship with God. The true joy of prayer is relational. Brother Travis, it's good to see you. You were sick for a week or two before I, I left to go to, to Rome. And, uh, and so I hadn't seen you for about three weeks. And one of the last things you told me before you got sick, you said, you pray that I forget my timer. So I'll just preach and not worry about the time. Your prayer has been answered today. I'm assuming my phone's at home, but I'm not positive. The true joy of prayer is in the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. Bishop Clifton Jones, I preached a conference in Jackson, Mississippi for Bishop Coleman in 1998 uh, or 9. I can't remember which one. It was late 98, early 99. Uh, the church, it's a massive church in the Jackson area. The church at that time ran about 2,500 Church started at 7.30. I got there at 7. There was not a soul there but the, but the janitor. At 7.30, there was me and the janitor. And then about 30 minutes after church was supposed to start, buses start coming and hundreds and hundreds of people come in. And uh, I preached that night, that Friday night and Saturday morning, Bishop Clifton Jones from Philadelphia, Mississippi. I'm not even sure if he's... Uh, still alive. He was an elder back in those days, and uh, he taught on prayer that morning, and I happened to have his book on, on the, he calls it the prayer clinic, 
And he said this, and I quote, hearing prayer taught, preached, and having read books about prayer is not a guarantee that you will be successful in prayer. Until you get involved personally and stay with it, your prayer life will never develop. He went on to say, we need to pray until we become addicted. This experience only comes by sticking with the thing until you feel that you cannot do without it. Man, that's a powerful quote. Folks, we are servants of God, but we're also children of God. God is our master, and, and what he commands us, we must do. We are servants to his will and his word, but if we are only servants, we miss much of what God has prepared for us. A servant serves out of obligation, occupation, or requirement. The goal of the servant is payment or escaping punishment. The prayers of a servant are prayers of requirement. There are three places in the Bible I mentioned earlier where the term Abba is used. Two by Paul, one by Jesus. So I, I want to look at these three passages of Scripture tonight. And we'll look at Jesus' statement in just a bit. But first I want to consider Paul's use of these two phrases. He wrote both of these passages to Gentile converts to Christianity. They were not Jews. Originally, the converts to Christianity were all Jewish. Uh, you find in Acts 2, and from Acts 2 through Acts 10, the converts are all Jewish descent. They all have the Old Testament as their background. The patriarchs, they've been raised to know the Word of God. They've been no raised to know about the power of God. And so they had this foundation in them that, uh, that, that respected and honored God and His Word. But then as Christianity began to spread into other parts of the world, it spread into people that didn't have any kind of a Judeo background at all. Their background, if they had any at all, was idol worship and paganism and, and, and all kinds of, of rituals and idols. And so these people from those backgrounds come into Christianity. They have no, they have no, real, no real anchor and foundation in, in what we believe about God. They didn't know God as we know him. And so they were outsiders. And so Paul writes these two passages to people that did not have a background of seeing God as their father. To them, God was an idol. Some of them, if I don't burn my, children, my oldest child to this idol, then God's going to punish me. And so you had these whole religions that would take their babies and set them on fire at the base of idols because they felt like if they didn't do that, that they would never be blessed. And so they burned these, the, the whole city of Jericho. The reason Jericho had to completely be destroyed is because Jericho was a city that burnt their children to idols. It was said in one resource that the walls of the city of Jericho were filled with babies' bones. And God said, I cannot have that kind of a city in my land. And so before God let them move into the land, that mentality had to be destroyed. Not just the walls, but the mentality had to be completely obliterated. And so people are coming 
to Christianity, but their backgrounds have all these ideas. They don't have, they don't have the Psalms where, where God is called Father. They don't have the idea of patriarchs, and they don't have all of that in their mindset. And so Paul has to write to them to help them to understand how they should view God. God is not an angry idol that wants to punish me every time that I do something wrong. God's not an angry idol that just that, that, that wants to manipulate my life and doesn't care or feel about what I care about and feel about. And so Paul is constantly having to try to shape the mentality of these people that were raised under a totally different paradigm. Are y'all all right tonight? And so to the first group, the Romans, who have this pantheon of gods, to the Romans, he says in Romans 8, 14, and 15, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. In verse 14, Paul makes the declaration of relationship. He said, if we're led by the Spirit, we're the sons of God. And then he goes on in 15, and he contrasts what he called the spirit of bondage and the spirit of adoption. He said, we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. He said, you didn't get into a, into a religion and a relationship with God that you have to fear like you did in your old religion. He said, when you became a Christian, you didn't get the spirit of bondage where you have to be afraid again. You don't have to be afraid that that idol is going to punish you and your family again. You, you didn't get into, into a religion that you have to go back into fear. It's not the bondage, the spirit of bondage again to fear, bondage is slavery. said, when you signed up for Christianity, you didn't sign up just to be a slave that you have to do what the master says no matter what. We don't want you to serve. He said, you do, I don't want you to serve God out of fear. The word fear here is the word phobos in the Greek. It's where the word phobia comes from. The word, the word phobos means alarm or fright or dread or terror. He said, when you became a Christian, when you changed your religion from what you came out of as Romans where you had this pantheon of gods that you served and you were always afraid of making one of them angry. If you showed too much affection for this one, you might make this one angry. And if you didn't do right, and he said, we don't want you to serve God with the bondage of fear. We don't want you to have alarm and fright and dread and terror. We don't want you laying down at night and being terrified that maybe you didn't do something right and that God, that this new God you adopted is going to, 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 to give you some kind of punishment. He said, you didn't get the spirit of bondage again to fear. He said, what you got was the spirit of adoption. Praise God. The spirit of bondage to fear says, I'm a slave. My master requires me to pray. And if I don't pray, I'm going to be punished. And then I pray out of fear, dread, alarm, fright, or terror. My prayers are through intimidation and dread of what happens if I don't do it. If I don't do it enough. If I don't do it right. If I don't pray good enough. But we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. That fear... That obligation is generated from our own human ability. And so then I have to find a way to get good enough 
so that the God that I'm trying to pray to doesn't come down and destroy me. He said, you didn't get that again. That, that's what you had, but you didn't get that again. What you got was the spirit of adoption. What you got was a heavenly father that is interested in your well-being, your desires, your needs. He's interested in your joy, your peace, your happiness, and your eternity. You got a spirit of adoption whereby, he said, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Abba, Aramaic, the common language spoken in that part of the world. Father in its original text is the word pater, which is, which is Greek. Aramaic was informal. It was what they just spoke on the common street. It was what they spoke across the kitchen table. Greek was formal. The word father in the Greek means the originator or the author of a family, the creator, the guardian, the, protect, the protector. Here Paul was talking about how we were adopted when we received the Spirit of God. Abba, father. Abba is father, but it's not father in the formal. It's father like my kids come up to me and say, Dad, I need this, or Dad, I love you, or Dad. It's not like when they come up and say, Father in a cold, unfeeling sense. Jewish children typically called their father Abba in everyday speech. Pater was, or Pater was for formal situations. It was, it was a more cold, it was a submissive term where Abba is relational, father was more submissive. And so when he said Abba, father what he's saying is you're my master you're my heavenly father but i'm in a relationship with you that i can feel comfortable it's like a child being at home and 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 playing with his dad and he calls him abba you i have this father side the the father side where i respect you and i honor your word and if you tell me to do it i'm going to do it but I also have this Abba relationship with you that I can share my heart and not be afraid that you're going to get angry with me if I do. And so Paul is telling the church at Rome, he said, you have to understand that what you came out of is not the same as what you've come into. What you came out of is if you don't do what your idol wants you to do, you get punished. But here you have a father that is interested in how your daily life goes. He said, this is a spirit of adoption. He chose to bring you into his family. Let me move on a little bit more. I don't want to bore you too much. And so Paul and Jesus both, both used this term Abba. And he used Abba Father together because he's both our formal father and what he says goes. But he is also the feeling, loving, kind Abba in our life. Galatians 4, again, another Gentile church that Paul was writing to, Galatians 4 and 6. Because you are sons, God had sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Paul, again, is pointing out that it's the Spirit of God inside of us 
that brings us into that relationship with him. I'm glad that my, that my quote-unquote religion isn't just a set book of phrases that I have to repeat. It's not just rituals. I have to burn enough candles or enough incense or enough this or that to make God happy. Man, I travel all over the world, and, and, and almost every place I go, they, they have these shrines. And, and if you go to Asia, they have these neighborhood shrines with these idols, and, and people come and, le and leave food at the idols, and they burn candles, and they drop money. And, and you have, in, in a lot of European, very Catholic areas, they have, they have shrines to, to saints, quote-unquote saints, and they, they drop money in boxes and burn candles. And if, and if I don't make those saints or idols happy enough, then, then I, don't ha I don't get what I need from them, and I'm at risk. He said, what you are is your sons, and it's the Spirit that has adopted you. It's not because you burn enough candles. It's because you've got the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God in you. And that Spirit of God brings you into a different relationship. Amen. You're no more a servant. That's what he said, Galatians 4 and 7. You see it? You are no more a servant, but a son. You're in a different relationship now. It's a personal relationship. It's a feeling relationship. It does not cancel out the fact that we obey the commandments of God, but we do it through relationship. I'm six foot five, Sister V's five foot even. She scares me, but not because of her physical stature. I know some of you are going to tell on me, and then when we get home, she's going to say, what did you say? And then I'm going to have to explain the whole thing. But I'll tell you, if she doesn't want me to pick up my socks, if I don't want to pick up my socks, she's not going to make me. She's not big enough. What are you laughing at? You know she's not big enough. I call her sweet and low. Seriously, if, 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 from a physical standpoint, she can't make me do something I don't want to do. But it's not the physical fear of her that gets me to do what she wants me to do. It's relationship. Getting ready to be 27 years next week, 27 years of relationship. She has a power over me that doesn't come from her biceps and triceps. It's relationship. It's relationship. She can get me to do stuff that you wouldn't be able to get me to do. There's been times people have said, hey, we ought to do this, we ought to do that, and in my mind, I'm like, nah. And my wife says, we need to do this, and I'm like, okay. relationship you guys know what I'm talking about don't you God wants us in the end we have to do what he says but he wants us to do what he says out of relationship not obligation 
So Paul points out again, we are no more servants. We're not a bondman, we're not a slave, but a son, kin, child, an heir of God. God has put the Spirit of Christ into our hearts to get us to say, Abba, Father. I'm going to be honest with you. Now, I'm not here to knock anybody else's religion. I'm not here to knock any other denomination. But, man, it's so good having the Holy Ghost. I wouldn't want to go without it. Man, what we felt Sunday afternoon and Sunday morning, Sunday night, my goodness. Why would you not want a, a, a God that makes you want to do that, to worship like that? There, it's, and it's by the Holy Ghost. He said, he, he said in verse 6 that he said, because your sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit of Jesus Christ in your heart, the Holy Ghost. Crying, Abba, Father, the, the Holy Ghost to help us understand. Man, when you feel, did you feel? I know you did because I saw what you all did Sunday night. But you could feel that. Man, it was so powerful and so real and so dynamic because the Holy Ghost. Was there anything in that feeling of, of, of joy that came at that moment that made you look at God and say, God, I'm afraid of you? No, it caused an overwhelming response inside of us that, God, I want to feel more of that. I want to be more in your presence. That's what I'm talking about tonight, that he doesn't want us to do it because I, he don't want me just to raise my hands because I have to. walk into his presence and, 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 and feel this relationship with him that makes me want to reach out to him. I told you a story about Ellie from when she was really little. I think Brother Wilson's preached a sermon about it maybe. But, uh, but Ellie would sleep between me and her mama. And she, those, she had those beautiful little blue eyes. But I was asleep and I woke up and I woke up and I had this feeling somebody's looking at me. And so it's dark and my eyes adjust and, I, and there's nobody in there. And so I turn, I, I, I always sleep on my right. So I turn to my left and those little blue eyes are staring right at me. And she said, Daddy, I'm a little bit scared. Can I borrow your arm? And I held that arm and she squeezed that arm and she fell right to sleep and I laid there feeling like a million dollars. relationship. God wants us to feel so safe and comfortable in his presence that we can say, God, I'm a little bit scared. Can I borrow your arm? Amen. I'm talking about relational prayer. God help me. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. I must, I must have fear in my heart because somehow I thought I just heard my wife say yes and now I'm looking around because I didn't think she was in here a little bit ago. So now we go to the third, the third point where it's used and it's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The backstory is that he's praying because within just a matter of moments, perhaps even just minutes, Roman soldiers are going to come in followed, or following Judas, his friend. And Judas is going to do the customary greeting of that part of the world, a kiss on the cheek. And Judas has set it up with those Roman soldiers, the one I kiss on the cheek, that's the one you arrest. 
And Jesus knows this. He knows that in a matter of moments, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be mercilessly beaten, mocked, made fun of, his beard plucked out, a crown of thorns on his head. He's going to be stripped naked, public humiliation. He's going to have his body completely obliterated with a cat of nine tails, and then he's going to die slowly over six hours on a cross. The next few hours of his life are very literally going to be absolute torture. In the Bible, he said, I am exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Can you watch with me for one hour? His flesh didn't want to suffer. His humanity did not want to hurt and die and feel pain. He didn't want to leave his mother. And so he had to make sure that the human side of him stayed submitted to the divine identity that he was born with. And so in Mark 14, here's what the Bible said, verse 35, and he went forward a little and fell on the ground. Have you ever, have you ever been that desperate in prayer that you just take a step and, and you just can't stand anymore? You just... Thank the Lord. I've not been in that condition often, but there's been a time or two where I just, I just couldn't take another step. So he falls to the ground. He knows I'm, in just a few minutes they're getting ready to tear my body to pieces. And he falls down on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, God, if there's any way that I don't have to die this way, if there's any way that I don't have to have the flesh of my back ripped off, if, I, if there's any way I don't have to feel those nails go through my hands and feet, if there's any way I can avoid this, then God, let it pass. And then he says this, it's, 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 it's absolutely astounding, Abba, Father. If you tell me to do it, I'll do it. Because I have trust that you're not only my potter that can command me to do what you want me to do, but you're also my Abba. And I trust you. Abba, Father, all things are possible. Take away this cup, and nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And in the most fear-wracked, stressful moment of his life, he goes back to his relationship that he has. Folks, there's tremendous power in relational prayer. When we pray out of our relationship with God, a relationship with God is impossible without prayer because prayer is communication, and where there's no communication, there's no relationship. And so we can either pray transactionally or relationally. Transactional prayer is just like it sounds. I'm trying to make a deal with God. I'm working a transaction with him. And so God, if I say the right words, you'll give me what I want. And so I'm dealing with God. God, if I pray, if I pray an hour, then will you do this for me? And so when we pray from the idea of a transaction, like I'm cutting a deal with God, it's like, it's like you know, the, the the, the mechanic, if you'll give me $1,000, I'll rebuild your carburetor. 
And so you make this trans, well, what if I just give you 600? Well, and you do this deal with God. And sometimes we pray transactionally. Well, I've got to preach for an hour, so I've got to pray for at least an hour because you, got to, you shouldn't preach longer than you pray. And you, we make these deals with God. God, I'll serve you if you'll do this. God, I'm, I'm praying now because I need this new job. And so, God, here's my deal. I'll give you this much conversation with me if you'll give me this job. And so it's a transaction. And the Bible teaches that God is powerful. He's able to control the physical, the spiritual worlds, perform miracles. God has unlimited resources. It's easy to, 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 to want him to simply be a divine benefactor and give us what we want. But when we treat prayer like a transaction, an exchange of our words for his services, then, we, then, then if he doesn't do exactly what we want, we feel like we have the right to be mad at him. Because I prayed and you didn't do it. I entered into a deal with you. I gave you my words right. in the prayer room or in the altar and you didn't do your part. And so we get this bitterness because we have a transactional view of how we pray. I hope I'm helping somebody tonight. One of the most common misconceptions about prayer is that it needs to be done a certain way following a formula or with just the right religious words or phrases. But the scripture presents a less rigid picture of prayer. Moses argued with God about going back to Egypt. Read Genesis 11 through 3, 11 through 14. He also argued with God when God said, I'm just going to destroy the whole city of Sodom. He said, my nephew's over there. If there's 50 righteous souls, will you spare it? And God says, well, I would but there's not 50. He says, well, what about 40? Well, I would for 40, but there's not 40. And he gets all the way down to 10, and God says, there's not even 10. Well, will you at least spare my nephew Lot? Elijah complained to God about feeling alone. Mary responded to God with the song. David's prayers weren't rigid or formulaic either. They were entirely conversational. He asked God bluntly in Psalms 2, why does the heathen rage? God, why do the sinners always seem like they win? He pleaded with God, right. saying, Lord, lead me in the right path, or my enemies will overcome me. Make your way plain. Over the course of a few chapters, David went from expressing frustration with the world to pleading for help from God, talking about, God, it's your faithful love that's going to help me. I'm going to read. I want you to go with me to Psalms 28 and 7. I am almost finished tonight. Psalms 28 and 7. This is a Psalm of David. Here's what he said in verse number 8. When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Man, I love this Psalm. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translation. Psalms 27 and 8 in the New Living. My heart has heard you say, come talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Isn't that a powerful verse? Isn't that a powerful mental image? That God says, come talk with me. And my heart says, here I come. David felt these emotions and felt free to express every one of them before God. Frustration, anger, fear, excitement, all of that because David prayed relationally with God. 
David was by far not a perfect man. But David understood. God said, David's a man not just after my hand. David's a man after my own heart. David would rather know my heart than get my blessings. When we see prayer as relational rather than transactional, we can reach past our circumstances and connect with God who never changes. Instead of trying to manipulate God with our prayers, we talk with him the same way we talk with one of our closest friends. How many, Brother Bishop Wilson, you remember Brother Gene Ebright. How, how many of you remember Brother Ebright? There's, there's a handful of you uh, most that... Brother Ebright, he died of cancer several years ago. Uh, Brother Ebright was the most frank, unfiltered individual you'll ever meet in your life. Ever meet in your life. He went in prayer room one day. And uh, God, it's been a bad day. Everything's gone wrong. God, everything I've done hadn't worked out. He just complained and complained. I mean, he's just going down the list. This is real. And then, and then while he's, 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 pre, he's, he's praying, his glasses fall to the ground and the lens pops out. And he says, see, God, see what I'm talking about? See? That was Brother Gene Ebright. And I'm going to tell you, God loved every second of it. Man, I miss him. The more I invite God into my life, the more I become aware of his faithfulness and presence. When I spend unguarded time in prayer with him, sharing my emotions. Somebody asked me the other day, um, I was at men's conference and, and one, of the, uh, one of the ministers, young ministers, he asked me, what, he said, When's, what, what's your favorite time of the day? And I said, between 4.30 and 7.30, before my kids wake up. Because I can just talk to God and not have to worry about who's listening. I just tell him everything I think, exactly how I think it. I just open up. Just like I talked to Brother Reggie, I talk to God. God, you know I got a busy day today. I got a lot of stuff on my plate, and I'm behind on this thing, and I just talk to him. I don't use Bible talk. I don't use thee, thou. God, these children that, that thou begettest me, driveth me crazy. I, I don't have to talk like that. God, my kids are getting to an age where they're, they're more independent, and I don't know exactly how to handle that. Help me, God, not to be too, too, uh, too, 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 too demanding. I pray that way. God, help me not to be more demanding of my kids than I am of other people's kids. Let me give them the same grace that I give other people. I've talked to God that way. I do. Because I'm in a relationship with him. I'm not trying to cut a deal with him. I'm, I'm hoping that he'll help me be a better person. And so God wants us to come to him, lay everything, our dreams, desires, struggles, anger, temptation, fear, confusion, Heartache. When you drop your glasses, see God, that's what I'm talking about. He wants us to bring them to him, not just so 
that we can get him to move, but because I need somebody I can connect with. That's how you develop faithful friendship. Let me give you three quick keys to praying relationally. And I'll be honest with you, for a lot of us, we've never really prayed that way because we're used to the phrases that we heard other people say and we hand these phrases down and we often can repeat phrases but not really feel like we've connected. Am I right? God wants us to connect. And so number one, focus on God himself rather than what you want from him. Focus on God himself rather than what you want from him. Make your main goal while praying to enjoy your time with God. Approach your prayers as tools for getting to know God better instead of ways to convince him to get you, give you what you want or need. Let me say that without the Elmer Fudd in the middle. Approach your prayers as tools for getting to know God better instead of ways to try to convince God to give you your request. First and foremost, prayer should be a way of communicating with God as a child would communicate with a loving father. Number two, pray throughout each day in different situations. It is good to have a set prayer time, but don't confine your time with God to just a small window of time. When you're driving down the road, talk to him. When you're stressed, tell him, God, I'm stressed. I need you to help me calm my blood pressure down a little bit right now. When you're frustrated, somebody's pressing your buttons and, and, and you want so badly to lay hands on them without prayer. God, this person's driving me crazy. Lord, I hope, I hope that you can give me patience right now, by George. <laughs> Emotions are powerful, motivating factors in your life. And when you express them to God in prayer, he can help you direct your feelings in ways. He can help, he can help back you off the ledge a little bit. One of the most important parts of relational prayer is paying attention. Paying attention. Take the time to pay attention to God when you pray. I'm going to talk a lesson in this series. At some point, we're going to do a, a lesson on meditation, just being quiet. I know that's anti-Pentecostal. We like noise, and we like it loud. Or at least if we don't like it loud, we at least like it. But sometimes you ought to just stop and just quiet your mind and quiet your spirit and quit trying to fill the gap with words and phrases that you just that are filler and just stop and just listen to God. One of the most important things about prayer is just pay attention. Pay attention to what you're really saying. 15 minutes of really paying attention to what you're talking about is better than an hour of just repeating phrases that you don't even know what you talked about. If I want a conversation with God, I can't just try to get him to pay attention to me. I've got to pay attention to him. Last passage, Luke 11, 1 and 2. It was the text that we used beginning on Sunday morning. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, 
When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, notice these two phrases I just read. Our Father, what's he doing? Establishing relationship, right? And number two, hallowed be thy name. He's given him praise. Hallowed means holy be your name. So he's starting his prayer, not by saying, God, give me this, give me that. My, our Father, you're my Father. I'm in relationship with you. I trust you. You're my provider, my protector, my confidant. God, you are, you are my Father, and hallowed be thy name. I worship you. You're awesome. You're great. You're wonderful. It's the act of establishing relationship. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you, God, for the time you've given me tonight to be able to speak to your people. God, these are awesome people. And God, I know that these people know you. I know they have a relationship with you. God, I know where you've brought them from, and I know what you've done for them and how you've kept them and how you've blessed them. And God, I know that all comes from relationship, but I do feel like, God, you're wanting us to feel a closer intimacy in prayer and relationship with you. And so, God, there are times when we just bring our requests before you. That's part of prayer. God, there are times when we intercede for others, and that's part of prayer. But, God, I hope that we can incorporate relational prayer into our daily walk with you where we just drop the pretense and drop the walls and drop the fences. We're not around other people, so we don't, we don't have to act like we got it all together. We don't have to cover up our weaknesses. But God, I can just come before you and say, God, you know I'm struggling in this, and I, you know I need you. You're my Father, and I know you love me, and you want me to do better than I want to do myself. And so, God, I need you right now relational prayer. God, I, I need your help. I don't know what to do. I don't have a clue what I'm supposed to do right now. So God, I need you to give me some direction. I need you to speak some peace into my spirit and my heart. Help me. Can you do that? I, you don't have to do it out loud, but just for the next few moments, why don't you just talk to God? If you don't want to do it out loud, you don't have to. If you want to do it in your mind, that's totally fine. But, but I want us to begin to practice relational prayer. Just practice the, the, just practice the art of talking to God like he was your very best friend because that's exactly what he is. God, you know I got a lot of stuff on my plate. I got deadlines coming up in a few weeks. I got stuff that, that I'm not prepared for that, I, that, that, that are bringing a lot of stress. And God, you know, you know, God, that that I need you to help me. You need to help me organize my time. You need to help me, God, to, be, to manage my time, to be focused and not get distracted by things that don't matter. God, you know that, that, that I, I wanna be a better dad. God, you know that I, I, I'm, I, I'm not a girl, so I don't understand the emotions that these girls have sometimes. You gotta help me. 
I, I'm just praying, hoping a way to, that, that you can hear and apply it to your own life and your own situation, your own trials and your own tests because that's where relationship comes from, the power of relational prayer. God, I thank you. Help us to become better friends of you, not just transactional relationship. I don't want a business relationship with you, God. I want a real friendship with you. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Bless your people in the remainder of this week, Lord. Bless their, I hear my alarm, Lord. I know you're trying to get me to stop. Lord, bless this conference this weekend, the workers, the planners, the ladies that are traveling here. God, I pray you bless your people. Keep us safe as we serve you. Help us to be witnesses for you. Help us to pack this place out this weekend and let, help us have revival, Lord. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. You can be dismissed in the name of the Lord. <laughs>